Howdy, everybody. How you doing? Hope you're all good. Welcome to Rendezvous with uh, Jamie uh, McCarney. So uh, here we are. Um, how's your day? How's your week been? Probably full of suffering and happiness. Uh, a delicate mix. So I hope you're finding the right balance. And I hope the bad times and the bad things, the bad spaces, the bad time and spaces are making you appreciate the good side that much more because we all get there uh, and we all get get out of there, don't we? So here we go. Um, tell me, um, where do I want this hair to go? I guess I'll put it here. Uh, haircut is imminent. Um, so what do these songs have in common? All right. Or what are the, uh, yeah, what do these songs have in common? Ready? Here we go. One, and then there's this one. It ain't no use to sit and wonder why, babe. Given you don't know by now, etc. Then the third one, uh, what's a good one? But maybe I've been here before I've seen these walls and I've walked this floor I used to live alone before I knew you But I've seen your flag on the marble arch And love is not a victory march It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah Hallelujah Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Okay, A. Um, they're all performed by me just now. B. Uh, they're all written and performed however beautiful and existentially uplifting they may be, they're all performed by um, beneficiaries of the patriarchy. Uh, C, um, they're, uh, they're all uh, generally beloved um, all around the world um, because they strike deep beyond the personal into something shared that we can all connect with and it helps bring us together but also helps bring us um, together with ourselves and with our creator or the universe and um, just help us understand and appreciate life and uh, interact with life, interface with life in a more beautiful, happy w way. Or D, um, all those artists took a bunch of drugs. <laughs> when they were uh, making all of these, maybe not at the moment, pr probably at the moment, when they made those songs. Um, but definitely a lot of their music, they were under the influence at the time of it. And far a lot, there's a lot more of their music where 
maybe they, they were, weren't on a drug at the exact moment, but they were on drugs in general around that and it formed a part of uh, their creativity. And in the absence of that, we wouldn't have that music. Um, what do you think? Oh, yeah, the title gave it away, didn't it? It's D, although it's also C for sure. Not B for sure, no. Um, a, yeah, also A. Okay, so everything except B. Um, uh, that sounds like modern humans. We we go for everything except B. <laughs> Just B, man. Be here now. All right. So today we're talking about uh, surrendering the war on drugs. We give up. Sorry, drugs. You win. Uh, on behalf of humanity, this schmuck, this random, uh, you know, male uh, English-speaking ape is uh, going to surrender to the drugs. Uh, waving a white flag. Here we go. Ready? Uh, if you can't see this, if you're just listening, I'm waving my, my white shirt sleeve in surrender here. Drugs one. Drugs one, humans zero. Um, or humans one million because drugs... Uh, it's always a tie, I guess, because drugs... Well, they help us and they harm us both, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, well, yeah, I mean, uh, to cut to the chase, we, we're going to talk about the argument, which I find convincing, right? I have an open mind, as always, right? Um, if, uh, if anyone ever thinks I'm being closed-minded, please tell me, and then, thank you, then now I can check, because it's possible I will be uh, closed-minded at certain times, but um, something funny I thought of at one point is, I'm open-minded to the possibility that I'm closed-minded, and that's a good sign. So, you know, it's kind of like, being um, addicted to not being addicted to stuff or having a bias towards truth or not being biased. So there are certain ways of kind of outflanking phenomena. And um, so I would say, uh, what was the original example? Uh, whatever, what, what was <laughs> um, Open-mindedness, yes, exactly. Thank you for jotting my memory there, dear listener. Um, so... But, but I, I keep an open mind, but um, I've thought about this a lot. I've listened to a lot of very intelligent people talk about it. And uh, what I find most persuasive, what makes the most sense, is that all drugs should be legal immediately. Like we should transition into it, I guess. Like, but what, you know, over three years or something, that should be fine. Like pretty quickly, because this is going to have huge benefits. And honestly, look, with all the pandemic madness, um, and, you know, the stuff with, like, the, the specter of war, you know, uh, looming over us. Um, and just general, even before these things, you know, the world has you know, ecological crises, all kinds of, you know, we talked about a bunch of them in episode seven. You know, listen to that or watch it. If you're keen, I give a good overview, I think, I hope, of, like, tying together basically all the ecological threats we're facing. Um, and all of them we can deal with. So... There's a hopeful message there, which is very important. Anyway, but there's a lot of problems, you know, even before this recent last two years, you know. And so um, we need all the help we can get and we need to start, you know, putting our thinking caps on. Check, where's my hat? Oh, I don't have a hat. Oh, well, hopefully I can still think. Um, you be the judge. So um, here's one way where we can make it a lot easier for ourselves, you know. There's some guy running a race trying to compete and he's, oh, I'm always losing. So, yeah, you know, you're, you're wearing a suit, yeah? 
everyone else is in like athletic gear and you're wearing like a three-piece suit what if you took off that suit and just got into some shorts and a shirt hey don't be a conspiracy theorist what i mean uh, uh don't take away my freedoms you know that still doesn't make sense uh, uh okay the third option is what we want we want okay let's do what portugal did let's go even further Portugal, in the year 2000, I think it was, uh, decriminalized all drugs. Again, this doesn't mean you approve of the drugs. It's not saying you are telling people, we'll talk about that in a moment. It's not, uh, you can decriminalize drugs, which means you you don't get in trouble for using them, but they're still not available to uh, for sale. There's no shop selling heroin, but you can, if you get heroin and the police find you with heroin or they find you on heroin or both, you don't get in trouble. You're just using the drug, no problem. But selling it is still illegal. There's still a crime there. I would go. I would go further, and I think it should all be legalized. Um, and uh, even set, if, if using it's not a crime, why should selling it be a crime? You know, um, uh, that's one of many arguments for that. But but we'll get to this. But basically, you know, they did a good job. They went a long way towards freedom there, and what I consider common sense. Um, and the, the rational, only rational approach, really, to this problem, um, they decriminalized all drugs. So they had a big heroin problem, a lot of people using heroin, a lot of people getting HIV from sharing, you know, dirty needles, and um, crime problems because of that, drug use problems. They legalized it, and drug use went down, and um, health problems went down, crime went down. I think crime went down. Actually, I'm not certain about that, but... Um, it would make sense, though, if there's less people addicted to these drugs. Because um, often people will resort to crime because they're like, well, I need to scratch this itch. Sorry, everyone. And so they will start stealing for that, you know. Um, if, you know, they're not, they lose their job or whatever, they can't support their lifestyle, you know. So, um, but, uh, and they, uh, whereas previously they would be, well, I can't go and ask for a bunch of needles. So I'm going to get in trouble and put in jail or fined or whatever. Um, and be, you know, you know, just deal with a wave of negativity and judgment. Instead, it's like, well, there's people going around these areas where there's people using drugs and, hey, give us your dirty needles, we'll give you clean ones. Oh, thank you, here you go. How are you? And so these people have coming out, are coming out of the shadows and um, drug use went down. Which um, A guy called Jonathan Hari, I think, is that his name? Uh, no, Johan Hari, um, very cool English guy, talks like this. Isn't that fun? Is it great? Isn't it great? He talks really fast. Anyway, um, he wrote a book called, I think, Lost Connections. Listen to the audio book of it. Um, very good. And his premise, and it seems to be backed up by a lot of data, is uh, that the, and I think Gabor, Gabor, Gabor Mate, it's not a T, but Yabor Mate, isn't it? But Gabor Mate, no, Yoruba Mate. Gabor Mate, um, uh, uh, Canadian, I think, or is he originally, whatever, originally Hungarian or something. Um, a psychologist, I believe, is an addiction expert, and he also kind of talks along these lines. I th- he says um, addiction comes from trauma, I think is his basic premise. Johan Hari is kind of saying loss of connection, social connection. Connection to yourself, connection to, um, which interestingly, connection to self, connection to others, connection to community, connection to purpose and a future that you want to live in. I think that's his basic premise. Um, which I guess dovetails a bit with um, trauma, but um, or the absence of trauma, or the healing of trauma. But um, 
yes. So, and you know, that connection premise that kind of ties interestingly with the whole idea of oneness and spiritual integrity, I think. But, um, yeah, so the addiction is brought on by these things. So if, if Portugal legalized these drugs and they say, hey, it's okay to use them, um, but, you know, if you're using them, I think what they would do is they would say um, they, like, they give you an information leaflet or something saying, yeah, you can come to this, uh, you know, class where we're talking about how to deal with addiction and, you know, the health thing, considerations to be aware of, what it's doing to you long term, how to get off it, you know, wait, things like this, a community you can connect with. And so a lot of people who don't want to be taking these drugs, but it's just they're in a real rough situation. Their, their business went bankrupt or whatever, or crazy stuff's been going on. Um, and they, um, you know, some of them want to keep doing it, sure. But a, a bunch of them, it seems, they were like, well, all right, I can go to this meeting. Or maybe the second time that, you know, they're nudged. They go, yeah, okay. Um, and they go and, yeah, you know, we have the facts. We have the statistics. Drug use has gone down. Um, health problems have gone down. Um, and it would make sense that other problems have gone down as a result. So, you know, people say, oh, you're, encour you're encouraging bad behavior if you decriminalize it. You're, in you're making people think it's okay. Well, that's another question. Is it okay or not? We'll get to that in a bit. But no, it's not, not the case. You can say, hey, the heroin is not a, probably not a good idea. Some people say um, you can do it um, if you've got the right, like a strong um, social network or you know, you're a healthy person, you can do it, and that it's all kind of like um, been demonized. Like, what's that? Dr. Carl Hart, I think. Um, Carl Hart, he talks about that and how he's like, yeah, I take heroin, like I sniff it with my wife. He's like at some, you know, full-on doctor, some prestigious university. He's like, yeah, it's great. It helps me connect with people I love, you know, and sometimes it depends what I want. It kind of experience, you know, like uh, have coffee in this situation, have heroin in that situation. You know, it's no problem. You know, I'm like a responsible adult. I can do it. He wrote a book called Drug Use for Grown-Ups, I think. Um, I haven't read that. But, uh, so I don't know. But he, you know, makes the case that actually, you know, these, a lot of the drugs, cocaine he takes, I think, um, but saying that it's not, you know, with this idea that you have to be addicted to it, but perhaps it's more that the general society has been told um, that these things are bad, so most people avoid them, and we just take the drugs that are legal, like alcohol or whatever, um, socially sanctioned drugs, um, but, uh, and so people who are on the fringes or more desperate people, people who are in more extreme negative states, maybe they gravitate more to these things, but maybe cocaine and heroin inherently aren't as bad, but maybe it's just the people using them have a lot of baggage, they're bringing it to it. Maybe if the general population was taking them, we'd have a different idea of them. I don't, you know, I'm just, uh, I don't know if he says that explicitly, but this is just me thinking now, but um, potentially, right? Or maybe it really is as bad as we think and Carl Hart's being a bit generous so, you know, to the spirit of heroin or whatever. So, um, the drug, Portugal decriminalized drugs and things went well. In university, I actually had a, to write an essay on, um, there's a few topics and I chose should drugs be legalized. I think I chose that out of a few options, five options or something. And um, I researched it and it was a classic you know, story of the success of what universities should be. I was researching it, preparing to say, no, of course they shouldn't be legalized. You, you know? And I did a bunch of research and da, 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 and then I kind of came across the Portugal thing and I came across a bunch of other information and um, I had to conclude, you know, I was doing for and against. And I, in the end, I was like, 
Well, yeah, actually, I think they should be legalized, or at least some of them. Like, um, logically, it actually doesn't make sense to keep them illegal. So that was quite an interesting moment for me, where I kind of changed. I was very anti-drugs when I was younger. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, thought they were all terrible, but I've come to have a more nuanced perspective. Hallelujah. Um, so, yeah, okay. So, let's see. Now, uh, drugs, okay, the war on drugs. The, uh, this was declared by in the U.S., what was it, Nixon, someone? So, like, we're going to have the war on drugs. Graham Hancock says anytime, he thinks anytime uh, you hear the war on anything, our little bunny ears should perk up. Like, mm, we're in for a, an exercise in brainwashing. I think there's a fair argument for that. The war on terror, they found like almost no terrorist. And meanwhile, you know, massive militarization of, you know, and secu- um, of the United States and other countries and creation of, of a surveillance state where thanks to Edward Snowden and Julian Assange, who is now languishing in prison and being treated terribly, and perhaps on suicide watch, who, um, no matter if you disagree with him or not, if you actually believe in democracy and freedoms, you you know, you should be um, unhappy about that. I think what's happening to Julian Assange is very terrible. Well, from my point of view, I definitely think that's a travesty. And um, uh, yeah, what's being done to him, if, if, if he is not vindicated and protected in some way, uh, well, I mean, it does not bode well for real journalism because basically he published um, leaked documents from the USA and uh, just not to go too far off the track here, but um, which revealed that they were spying on everyone and doing all this crazy stuff that they're not meant to be doing, breaking their own constitution. And uh, did we thank him? Thank you for bringing balance back to the system. Thank God. We need a system. Right, we need laws. We need power. Right, we need a hierarchy. Okay, but um, we we can't have it turn into a totalitarian state, right? Like we don't want to be living in Nazi Germany. How do they let it happen? We would never do that. Hmm. Okay. And but lo and behold, no. Unfortunately, the state of collective consciousness and the state of power that the powers that be have over the media and whatever governmental institutions, etc. Um, he was uh, kind of basically arrested for breach of bail, but his original um, trial seemed like it was a bit of a sham. And he was, you know, there's a lot of dodgy looking stuff going on. And basically it looks like he's being um, persecuted for journalism in the West. So that's not so good. Anyway, um, he's on, He's. Uh, I think there's a case to extradite, extradite him to the US. Um, and uh, he's in England at the moment. So look that up if you're interested. But, um, you know, support Julian, I would say. Um now, uh, but Edward Snowden and Julian and other people have exposed, like, you know, a lot of the war on terror, a lot of crazy stuff came from that, right? There was a good, you know, idea of like, okay, protect us from terror, but it seemed more of a war of terror, you know? The million Iraqis got killed, even though there's no weapons of mass destruction. All the charade of what happened in Afghanistan, terror, you know, there's a lot of bad things have happened. CIA torturing people. Okay, that's another episode, right? Point being, Graham Hancock says, war on anything, be skeptical. We're on drugs. I would say, yeah, same thing. I mean, the idea is like people shouldn't be using drugs. We're going to save them from this. Okay, let's stop it. But um, if you go, or maybe it was Reagan who launched this, but um, I think Nixon first made, um, part in 1970, made psychedelics illegal, LSD, like acid, um, uh, psilocybin, like the ingredient in magic mushrooms, psilocybin mushrooms, these um, kind of things. Uh, they were made illegal. Um and it seems from his records, it was actually because a lot of the 
anti-Vietnam protesters were using these, they were, you know, counterculture people. They were using these um, substances, um, some of them just for fun, I guess, and whatever to, you know, feel bliss. Um, but a lot of them, you know, for consciousness expansion, trying to become better people, more aware people. Whatever their reasons, good or bad, whatever you think about it, he, um, I believe it's quite on the record now that he uh, intentionally said, okay, we can target them and stop all these protests against the war, which makes us a lot of money for arms contractors and et cetera, geopolitical power, whatever. Um, we can cut the, um, get rid of these protesters by making what they're taking illegal. And so that's kind of, that was apparently the inspiration behind that because it was showing a lot of promise for, um, as we'll get to in a bit, um, these substances um, were showing, and recently the research has begun again, the last few decades, and it's been absolutely vindicated. These psychedelics are medicines. You can use a medicine badly, you can use a medicine properly, but these are medicines for the mind, psychological medis um, medicines, and um, but much more powerful than SSRIs or anything we've had until now. Um, and uh, so showing a lot of potential for treating addiction, um, depression, anxiety, um, uh, people near, you know, people who are approaching death from, you know, c cancer or, or whatever, like help end, um, end of life kind of treatments in hospices or whatever, that's shown a lot of potential. Um, uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, so a lot of soldiers in Israel and America have been given this. Um, MAPS have been running studies, clinical trials, following the you know FDA standards like Federal Drug Administration um, and doing it properly through the system for decades have been working on this MAPS multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies um, under Rick Doblin I think he's a doctor Rick Doblin um, uh, very lovely affable man who's been working very hard with a lot of other people I'm sure um, and they've been doing these studies of um, MDMA also known as ecstasy or Molly and uh, showing that but like the the next best treatment for PTSD, these soldiers who get messed up in war and they they have these nightmares and flashbacks and their just lives are ruined. You know they can't connect with social, you know, with family members and ruins marriages, ruins you know family life, uh, social life, all kinds of problems. Um, suicides. There's so many suicides of um, soldiers uh, coming back. These veterans coming back from the wars, the imperial wars of America, and getting almost nothing from the state, um, very, very sad. Whatever you think of the wars, like the humans involved generally, they're doing it because they think it's right, you know. Um, there's easier ways to make money. And, uh, you know, they are being treated rather poorly. Um, and yet, um, here comes along the exact opposite, seemingly of, you know, a soldier off in Iraq or something fighting a war. Uh, you have this psychedelic, um, which is not quite, not a traditional psychedelic, um, uh, but yeah, MDMA, basically... Um, make the love drug, you know, it um, makes you feel just like uh, affection and trust and love um, for everyone, basically. It just takes down the, the borders and people feel like just absolutely connected with people. They feel like they're able to drop their masks and they don't care what, you know, how they look. They just care about how they feel to others. You could say, you know, how they care how they see others, not how they look to others. And they just want to connect with people and be a good, you know, good influence on people and they just know that come into contact with love pure love and um lo and behold um uh maps have been doing these studies where they, they'll take um they do sessions where they give them mdma the soldiers and um they, they do one session with a uh, it's talk therapy so with a, a therapist 
Um, so they give them the drug and they talk them through, you know, about their trauma. And then the second session is no drug, just talking. And then the third session, drug again. So it's, you know, every, every other session is um, on the drug, right? Um, so, and they're doing therapy and they've shown something like crazy, like 70% um, success rate for overcoming PTSD symptoms. Um, the next best thing is like 10% effectiveness for alternative therapies. So this is a radical improvement. So that alone, now it looks like that is going to be legal very soon, um, which might be a shock to you, but um, MDMA ecstasy is almost certainly going to be legal very soon, uh, at least in the United States. And that's, you know, the rest of the world tends to follow suit um, for um, post-traumatic stress disorder treatment and potentially other for other things like depression or anxiety and things. Um, psilocybin, Johns Hopkins have been doing a lot of studies into psilocybin. Also mystical experiences, like they gave it to people who, you know, were meditating or, you know, were into spirituality, right? So not atheists, I think, um, but like people who are Christian or I don't know what it was, someone who's religious or spiritual. Maybe they're kind of open to the idea of the greater intelligence or whatever. But a lot of these people, you know, they can meditate 20 years and not really feel like a direct experience um, necessarily, right? Uh, they did the study of all these people and um, they, I think something like 80% said it was the single most significant, meaningful thing in their whole lives, this experience of psilocybin. It, it felt like they gave it a raw connection with love and um, the real nature of life. It was like they, you know, waking up from a dream sort of thing, you know. Dreams are pretty real, but there's something realer. It's called normal life, you know. That, that this is kind of what I talked about in the episode Awakening, right? Awakening, this spirituality is this idea that you're kind of waking up to, it's not just dream normal life and then that's it. It's dream normal life and then awakened life. There's this other level where you're more aware, you're not just human. Yeah, you're a human, that's true. But in a sense, it's a dream. In a sense, it's real, totally real. In another sense, it's not, it's a dream because there is a higher perspective you can reach and where you realize we're all one and that you are basically not separate from the universe or anything. Um, but anyway, these people it induced mystical experiences. So, and, it, and they found that you know, it, it um, had permanently altered them for the better, even um, like 12 months, 24 months later. So these permanent changes, which is very radical. Nothing else does this that we know of. So these are illegal drugs. Class, Schedule 1, I think, in the USA or whatever, like, you know, totally, which means there's no medicinal benefit, which is crazy because we know... They have these medicinal benefits now. We've known for a while, if we're honest. But so that's psilocybin, MDMA. Um, other things are being studied. Ayahuasca, which is a, a basically a magic potion. This um, in the Amazon, they they mix uh, um, Banisteriopsis carpi, carpi, um, which is the ayahuasca vine, the vine of souls or the vine of death. It's this vine which contains um, uh, what does it contain? Um, monoamine oxidase inhibitors, MAO inhibitors. So it's MAO is an, um, an enzyme in your stomach that turns off certain things when they come in. Um, an MAO inhibitor turns off the turnoffer, right? It turns off that enzyme. And um, so they have that vine mixed with uh, the chacruna leaf or other leaves, which contain something called DMT, dimethyltryptamine. And uh, this is a very strong psychedelic drug where normally if you eat it, nothing happens. So you see jaguars eating these, and they will roll around. It looks like they're on catnip. These big jaguars, which are able to eat crocodiles, kill and eat crocodiles, they're around, rolling around on the ground of the Amazon as if they're little cats, you know? Well, they are cats, but as if they're little, you know, pussy cats. Um, 
and because they've eaten the DMT leaves. So they're tripping bowls, basically. <laughs> um, and uh, But then, and you know, cats do this with catnip, right? They also take drugs, what we would call drugs. You know, it, this basic idea is there's a hu fundamental human tendency or desire or benefit in consciousness alteration, modifying your consciousness, changing your perspective, you know. Um, if you want to look at a building, you want to admire it, do you stay where you're standing or do you move to the left and move to the right? And, you know, you alter your perspective. You get a better understanding. That seems to be happening in, in the deeper sense with um, consciousness modification through chemicals, drugs, which includes foods and things, you know. Um, but uh, so the, the jaguars do this. Um, and uh, But DMT, if we eat it, nothing happens, right? But because the MAO turns it off um, when it enters the stomach, but if you ha combine it, you boil it. So the shamans, they basically boil this vine with this leaf um, in like layers, in like a cauldron kind of thing, and uh, or a pot, you know. And uh, they filter that and they drink it. It's this dense, like tar-like substance, very thick, dark, awful, apparently tasting um, uh, substance, right? And um, But they drink it and they can have a, a DMT experience for like six hours, eight hours or something. Anyway, this has traditionally been used as medicine, they, and they still use it as medicine, these traditional tribes in, um, in the Amazon of Brazil, Colombia, and, uh, and Peru. Um, and uh, so they have slightly different you know, words for things and maybe different ingredients in some ways. But, um, and they have enormous benefits for the physical and psychological health of their communities. The shamans are like the doctors. They, they use this to heal people. Um, and this, this is being studied, I believe, um, and for uh, addiction, because a lot of people, they have serious addictions. They go down, they take a course of ayahuasca, they go there for a week, do ayahuasca, you know, five nights in a row or something, and lo and behold, the addiction's totally gone. Not always, but a very large amount of the time. And for those where it's not gone, you know, I believe there are just really significant improvements anyway. So I believe they say that it just it gives you so much perspective on yourself that you can't bullshit yourself anymore. You can't hide from the facts of how you're affecting yourself and how you're affecting others. And if you think about what your conscience does, it kind of like forces you, it's like telling you the angel on your shoulder, hey, this is what's happening. And so if we can silence that angel, we can do whatever the devil wants, you know, whatever feels good and selfish and fun um, on a, from a limited point of view. But then the conscience is kind of, all you really need is that perspective. Uh, and so it seems like what ayahuasca and perhaps certain other um, drugs or psychedelic medicines or whatever are doing is kind of giving, flooding you with so much perspective that you can't help but change because it's just so clear what you actually want deep down and that you say, I was identifying with this thought that, oh, I want this, I need this, this is what I really feel like. But realizing, actually, no, I want these other things and this thing, I was just focusing on this one effect of it, but there are so many other effects and I don't like them. And these, if I didn't do it, I was just focusing on, oh, I won't get it. I don't get that pleasure. But there are all these other effects I wasn't thinking about. I'll have more self-respect, more discipline, better relationships. So many things. And so, um, and uh, yes, so, uh, and then not to mention, it brings up a whole lot of questions about on, uh, for scientific inquiry, you know, Benny Shannon in, I think, uh, in uh, Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, some Israeli university, he's been studying the connection between ayahuasca and the story of Moses and the burning bush and the idea that uh, there was that it may have been the acacia tree, which is a, a DMT complaining, containing plant. A vast number of plants in nature contain DMT, um, which is very strange given it's the most powerful psychedelic drug on the planet and it's 
everywhere, but we just it can't get it when we eat the leaves unless you, you, know, you mix it right, um, boil it with MAO inhibitors, I guess. Um, but uh, how, you know, Moses, you know, the burning bush, and then Moses gets, you know, enlightenment from God, and that perhaps he was smoking this DMT. Because you can smoke DMT. Um, that's a uh, ayahuasca, this potion kind of thing, this tea, this brew. But um, uh, you can smoke uh, DMT, and it has a much shorter experience, much more intense, short experience, where people get a, flooded with a lot of insight and perspective. And even, you know, that's another story, but they go into We won't talk about it here because we're just talking about surrendering the war on drugs. But just to point out, there is some benefit. Um, there are many stories of people kind of feeling, having the sense that they're exploring these other dimensions and seemingly interacting with intelligent entities, which sounds absolutely bonkers. But people from all over the world have had the same experience and they've been studied, people even earlier on where this wasn't such a well-known thing, and there were freakish similarities in the stories. And so it seemed like how would they, by coincidence, if this wasn't a, an objective thing, why is it so similar, these tales? One potential counter-argument would be that they are um, collective, like Jungian collective consciousness sort of thing. Like it's still imagination, but it's kind of a collective imagination. Okay, possible. Um, or it's a real thing. Because either way, there's all these you know, similarities from people who weren't talking to each other. And um, this was studied by um, Rick Strassman, um, who wrote in the 90s, who kicked off the psychedelic research again. He managed. He worked very, very hard, and he was a very good doctor, and he managed to um, get uh, the ball rolling with psychedelic research again. Thank God, because there's so many benefits that are coming down the line for us here. Um, but uh, And so... He started, and that's where we started to see, like, all these people, they haven't talked to each other. They're reporting the same thing. That's, but apart from that, there's all these therapeutic benefits of, you know, again, uh, depression, anxiety, et cetera, addiction. So these are some um, benefits. Um, and uh, by the way, one, one thing to mention on that point is that all these stories of meeting intelligent entities, et cetera, bear a freakish resemblance also to traditional stories of elves, fairies, angels, spirits, and even modern-day UFO encounters. So it begs the question, if we're really keeping an open mind, potentially um, it's just peeling back a, a, a chemical layer that we, you know, uh, kind of uh, peeling a layer of, the, layer of the onion so we can actually see what's around us in these other dimensions. And perhaps, you know, this is actually real um, or not. Who knows? All right. So, but benefits to these psychedelics, right? Um, and so many people say they've changed their lives for the better. Steve Jobs said, you know, LSD allowed him to think in a way he couldn't have thought otherwise. And we're all using, you know, I'm using a, a Mac here. So this computer, you know, all this stuff that we benefit from. People who are complaining about, you know, psychedelics, you know, complaining on an iPhone or whatever, you know, or listening to their favorite songs written by people who are on psychedelics, like the Beatles. Oh, we'll just complain about LSD and then listen to Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds uh, on my iPod or whatever, you know. So, you know, I think from a bigger picture, we need to understand there are risks, and um, but there are a lot of benefits. So... Let's say just the risks of, of um, uh, yeah, psychedelics, let's say. Um, so let's say, um, look, one final thought there. Like psychedelics, um, a lot of people have said, like Ramdas, who, you know, who was Rupert Alpert, but um, he changed his name, as often happens when people, you know, uh, kind of um, feel that they've had a shift of consciousness and for whatever reason they might be, feel called upon to kind of mark that with a new name where they feel like this is a new me really, you know, um, and, but anyway, he wrote Be Here Now, you've probably heard that phrase, right, so Be Here Now, he wrote that book, um, and, you know, very, he's passed away, but he's a very, very um, wise man, um, 
he began his journey with a lot of, you know, lysergic acid diethylamide, LSD, and um, credited it with massively accelerating his personal growth. And this is what the effect it has on many, many people. Some people, if you have some guy called Kevin, who's just a bit of a, you know, I don't know, he's not the sharpest tool in the shed, not playing with the full deck, right? And um, maybe he's got some bad habits or whatever and doesn't think about other people. He's a bit narcissistic, whatever. Okay, he could take LSD and it's not going to have a great effect. That's totally possible. If he had took it with someone who's very enlightened, um, very wise, then maybe they could edge him, nudge him into a different lane and he would have a powerful effect. Maybe not. Maybe you'd resist that. Um, but people who have the right intention... And if you have the right set and setting, you're right, the right mindset, positivity, I'm going to go with the flow, go down the river, don't control what you can't control, you just freak out. That's where bad trips come from, trying to control it. If you go with the flow, bad trips are impossible. That said, you learn a lot from bad trips. Um, but uh, So that you, you understand that basic principle and setting, like be with good people in a beautiful place, in darkness or in a comfy room in your house or um, in a park or something in nature. Um, you know, everything's calm, you know, you're not crossing highways or anything, you're not driving a car, you know, um, and uh, you don't have responsibilities to take care of later in the day. Um, then, and if you have the right uh, intention, which is, you know, to uplift yourself and your consciousness and thus uplift everyone around you, become a better person in whatever specific way you f feel called to, then it will work wonders. Um, and uh, as attested by countless people, um, many of whom you look up to. Uh, it, without a doubt, there are people who you admire who you may not be aware of it, but they took these things uh, and perhaps still take them. Um, and they were very demonized for a long time, so a lot of people weren't talking about it, but they are coming out of the closet now in great numbers. Um, so, you know, um, this goes Artists of the Beatles, Bob Dylan, Led Zeppelin, um, uh, Johnny Cash, um, uh, I mean, all kinds of people... Um, said Leonard Cohen, I think I said, Jimi Hendrix, of course. Um, and um, even people like Winston Churchill, you know, love him or hate him or whatever. Um, he was on opium like a lot of the time and, uh, and drunk, <laughs> right? But, um, you know, or, uh, you know, there are many um, people you wouldn't think, but they're actually, you know, or F Freud, you know, I think he's taking cocaine a lot. Um, uh, yes, so there, there are all kinds of um, people you... you respects who actually are into these things now okay so the negative side of it though um of course if you're if you don't there is a danger of psychological harm um you can have very very positive experiences which have a can set a new groove in your consciousness but you could have the flip side if you resist it if you're with bad people in a bad got a bad mindset or a bad setting people and place and time then um yeah you could have it going into a very dark place and it seems like I'm not sure about this, but it seems like some people never quite come back. Like they, they go into such a dark place that, where it, um, it kind of locks them into a certain traumatic psychic or mental stance where um, it leaves permanent harm, just like many things can do. People can change because of traumatic experiences. So there is a risk for trauma. So this is why they should be taken very seriously. I wouldn't be giving these to 12-year-olds, right? Um, and we'll talk about the regulation later. Like, you really think we're just going to let these all be legal? Um, uh, uh, yes, <laughs> but regulated, right? So um, we'll, we'll get to that soon because that's very probably very important, more than the pros and cons of these certain drugs. But, but there is a danger. Um, and, uh, you know, look, the, um, 
Throughout history, these have been used a lot. They've had great um, benefits. The Eleusinian Mysteries, Greek and ancient Greek and Rome civilization, uh, once a year or twice a year, they would meet at Eleusis and have these secret initiations. And they never, they weren't allowed to talk about it. It was the mysteries. And an Athenian nobleman got in big trouble at some point because he was having a dinner party sharing the mystery. <laughs> um, and, you know, that, hey, you're not meant to do that, right? It's, it's sacred, you know, it's just for Eleusis. Um, but the nobles would go there. It was only an elite thing. And the people who were running the society, they, it's very clear now, in the Victorian age, they're like kind of baffled. Like, what are they doing? We don't understand. Now, Western cultures come back in touch with psychedelics. We understand. It's very clear. Um, uh, what's your man's name? Um, uh, Mororescu, Brian Mororescu, great guy. Very interesting, um, well-read uh, man who's done a great book called uh, The Religion With No Name, um, talking about kind of building on the work of The Road to Eleusis by who was at Wasson and someone, I can't remember, um, where they were postulating that, you know, that this was a psychedelic drug. He's kind of confirmed it. It looks very, very solid evidence that early Christianity, ancient Greek mysteries, and then that's where Christianity really developed in Greece, came from the Holy Land, moved to Greece, and really that was a cradle for it, um, where it flourished. And uh, early the early Christian church seems like they were very into at least the the clergy, if not maybe the whole congregation were taking psychedelic um, drugs or medicines or plant medicines, um, and that was allowing them to expand their consciousness, connect to a sense of the divinity and interconnectedness of all being, and um, goodness and virtue and guidance. And so, you know, that's a, a thing. And uh, uh, right, okay. So, and then Egypt doing same thing. They've got the you know psychedelic use. Um, it seems like ancient India, um, uh, all, all around, basically seems like probably all over the place. It seems uh, shamanism in hunter-gatherer tribes, uh, everyone has shamanism. And um, they some alter their consciousness using drums or dance or like pain rituals, all kinds of crazy things, um, or breathing. But um, a lot of them use psych uh, psychotropic drugs, psychedelic um, medicines. Um, and it seems where they're available, they always seem to be used. So it seems this is just a part of human nature that we have lost. As to the great late, great Terence McKenna talk, said, um, sec, uh, psychedel uh, the psychedelic experience is something he th thought that everyone should have, um, that it's as fundamental a part of your humanity as sexuality itself, um, and that there are people who forego that, but if they do it, it should be willingly, right? Um, and they should do so having full informed consent, knowing what they're getting into what and what they're not getting into. Um, so now I'd say certain people shouldn't get into it because they're too fragile psychically perhaps, but with the right, um, if we legalize all drugs and, and all the benefits that come from that and many other, you know, progress we can make in society, then I think we can uplift each other to a level where probably everyone could be benefiting from this. We can improve the baseline radically. And I want to talk about how in a moment, but, um, but just to finish this idea, there are all these benefits historically from drug use and, you know, shamanism and connection to nature. It seems like the witch burnings were trying to remove that. It seems like probably that was European shamanism. And they were, you know, taken out because the church didn't like the threat from that direct access to the divine, um, and the Gnostics, similar thing, the Cathars, persecution of them. But um, a negative having these psychedelics could cause problems too. Like the um, the Aztecs, they were taking psychedelic mushrooms and they were slaughtering countless people. Um, so it's not necessarily, um, you know, happy days, everything's easy, right? Um, but the you know smoke without fire, the general pattern is in a healthy society, just like we're saying. Unhealthy people taking them, it can go dark. 
unhealthy society using them can go dark. But in general, these are a guide rail protecting society from going bad. Um, that's the general evidence from history. Now, so, okay, so that's historical pros and cons, present pros and cons of psychedelic drugs. Now, um, so, but then we look at, say, alcohol. We allow alcohol to be legal. But there are so many harms from that. Make, often makes violent people especially, but even relatively nonviolent people, if they are ever going to be violent, it's going to be when they're drunk, right? Um, it increases aggression. It, 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 it takes away inhibitions, which can be great if you want to socialize and relax and you're a bit nervous. It can be a wonderful thing. But too much, and it can take away the inhibition. I want to smash that guy in the face. Maybe I should inhibit that thought. Or maybe I'm drunk and so that doesn't happen. Um, driving killing yourself, people dying themselves or killing passengers or pedestrians or other motorists through drink driving accidents. Um, alcohol poisoning. You can die from drinking too much alcohol. Alcohol withdrawal can kill you too. I think only two drugs, alcohol and benzodiazepines. Withdrawing from them, cold turkey, just stopping it. I'm going to stop. This is ruining my life. Don't do that if you're an alcoholic. You need to wean yourself off or you're going to die if you're too dependent on it you will you will die um from just stopping and people do this it happens all the time but this is this is legal if you're over 18 or over 21 or over 16 depending on your country um and so why do we allow that but we don't allow these other things right we if we're gonna have laws that should be consistent if the laws are based on sense and what makes sense then it should be consistent right logically um so if it's not consistent then what's the real reason is it ignorance is it corruption right um so control, what's the intention here? Um, so alcohol, uh, cigarettes are legal, you know. They, uh, they can't have packaging, which I think is like in many places the packaging is now like pictures of brain tumors and crazy stuff um, uh, instead or whatever it is, you know, um, uh, on the packaging and they're not, they're not allowed to make it beautiful, which is a slight side note, but I would say I disagree with that. I think if you're allowed to make alcohol look beautiful, you should be allowed to make cigarettes look beautiful. I think you should be allowed to make everything look beautiful and just because otherwise you're just betraying the fact that you don't trust human nature and common sense. I do. I think if we take away a lot of the pressures that people are under, people are smarter than we think in general. And even the people who aren't that smart, um, the heart kind of has an intelligence of its own. And so it's just a minority of the population. If there was proper social connections and we took away all this pressure we're under from various causes, which we can, and I think we will, um, then, uh, uh, I think, you know, very few people are going to smoke cigarettes just because, you know, they got dazzled by the packaging, you know. Um, that's not going to be the main reason. That's not how we work as humans, you know. Um, and uh, they do it anyway. People smoke them anyway, even though they have that packaging, you know. And the fact that they're kind of illegal or prohibited kind of makes them even more ooh, sexy, you know. Um, but uh, so, you know, I think the government doesn't have the right to tell people what to put in their bodies. This is the basic idea and i guess i should have said this earlier although i said it in the description at least but the basic idea of it is you um i believe you have the right to put whatever you want in your body so long as you're not hurting other people right um and even i guess they're not even connected like you have the right to put whatever you want in your body whatever you want now if you cause problems then we have laws for dealing with those problems but but that's going to happen anyway even if you didn't put anything in your body so whether you're on drugs or not, if you steal, if you assault, if you murder, if you rape, if you defraud people, if you, if you speed, if you do anything bad that causes problems, you're pressing, your freedom is restricting other people's freedom, right? So there's that 
you know, your overlapping of your circles of influence, spheres of influence, then, okay, you can't do that. You're breaking the rules we have agreed upon in society, and so there are going to be consequences to deter that and prevent it from expanding and growing, right? We need to keep things in balance. So what does it matter? Why do we need this second set of laws for drugs if we already have laws to deal with literally any bad thing you can do? Um, and especially because these laws cause so many problems, right? Um, and, but, uh, you know, if you, you should be able to do whatever you want, put whatever you want in your body. We don't need a double set of laws. There's a few reasons. It clogs up the courts, having extra laws. It makes it harder for people to become lawyers. Okay. You know, like, um, or maybe we should make it even more hard for that. <laughs> no. Um, but, uh, simplifying the law would be good, right? We don't need this second set of laws. And when you make something illegal, you're punishing the, the, the majority who do the right thing just because of a small minority who do the wrong thing. You know, the majority of people who smoke marijuana and they get creative and they draw or it helps them relax or it helps them connect or enjoy food or whatever. Um, and then you have a, a minority who say um, uh, abuse it. They use it too much. They're pressing the happiness button and um, instead of, say, going out with their friends and connecting socially or instead of doing some work, they press the happiness button. Or instead of um, being, uh, you know, instead of facing the fact that um, they're uh, not um, opening up to their loved one, their you know romantic partner, they're closing off. Uh, instead of just dealing with that, they go, oh, happiness button, right? Same thing with alcohol and all these other things. Except marijuana is a bit tr um, different. You might get paranoia if you do that too much because it's going to show you going to expand your awareness a bit and you're going to start noticing uh i'm not exactly who i pretend to be uh oh this isn't good uh and you might freak out right but nonetheless it can be abused right these it's like like anything really though that's the thing food same thing we don't outlaw cheeseburgers you can take too many cheeseburgers and you're, you're going to be a burden on the public health system and other people are paying taxes to support you or you know your you know not your mind won't work as clearly um you know because you've got too much inflammation in the body um uh, from you know overeating or whatever or your um, hormones are dysregulated etc right um, there are many ways we can all go out of balance um, not sleeping enough or working too much whatever but um, drugs are just another thing like that you know like um, you can use them right or you can use them wrong they're just a tool fire can burn down your house or it can cook your dinner you know um, if I have a tooth uh, a toothbrush I don't know John Claude Van Damme can probably kill someone with a toothbrush uh, or it can brush your teeth you know so <clears throat> I think we need, really need to come to an understanding that it's not just dr drugs. For one thing, it's not just drugs are bad, okay? That doesn't make any sense. That, we, the, that only makes sense if you take a bunch of the drugs and you say, they're not drugs, that's just alcohol and sugar and caffeine, which all have a huge influence on your, um, your mind. So they're all powerful enough to be called drugs. Um, and all the pharmaceutical medications people are on, which are drugs, and a lot of them are very unhealthy cause a lot of problems um you know some of them perhaps can be beneficial um have a role you know but a lot of them because it's very addictive the opioid crisis in the united states is a terrible thing and marijuana is kind of coming to the rescue in a lot of states they're legalizing it a lot in large part because it's a non-addictive or far less addictive maybe on the addictive on the level of sex or food or something you know but not like um well as far as I understand it, these pharmaceuticals can be more chemically addictive, although I've heard some people say that that's a myth and that there is no such thing. But I think that's true. I don't know. But the point is, um, it's not all drugs are bad. It's okay. Um, 
there are drugs that it can uplift you and there are drugs that aren't so good for you. I mean, there are drugs like that. Um, they, there are chemicals we know that will just mess up your cognition. They make it very hard for you to think clearly, like poisons, basically. You know, Not everything in nature should be in your body. There are certain things that aren't good for us. You know, Mushrooms that you eat and they'll kill you. Mushrooms that you eat and they'll feel delicious, taste delicious. Mushrooms that you'll eat and they'll expand your mind and make you a happier, more loving person. So, you know, um, it really depends. Um, so, but there are, so that's what I say, there are bad drugs or say, um, you know, from what I can tell, people who, um, most people who take uh, cocaine seem to be like really, you know, a bit, I don't know, a bit maybe too, could be great, could make them, you know, confident and have a good time and really enjoy dancing or something. But maybe sometimes it can make them a bit detached from other people and lose your empathy, maybe get too narcissistic. Um, and so I would say that's not as good a, a drug as, say, something which can expand your mind or, or like MDMA that can help you connect with people. Um, or And then, you know, like what's better, coffee or sugar? Well, coffee helps us work. Sugar doesn't do that much. Okay, maybe coffee's better. Or coffee seems to have a lot of health benefits, actually. Oh, it's not quite clear, I think. But it seems to be very, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's from what I can tell, it's um, very healthy. Um, but for cognitive health and, you know, other things, right? Of course, within in balance, right? So we have these drugs. They can be good or bad, right? It's And a lot of the ones we've been told are bad are not actually that bad. Marijuana, the thing that's p always put against it, apart from making people lazy. And look, there is some truth to that, but it's um, only to the extent that it makes you feel really happy. So some people just keep making themselves really feel really happy without doing any work. And that's the danger. But the solution is not prison or a fine. The solution, I think, is talking to each other. Cultural, you and me, everyone, as humans, we interact and we help each other out. Friendship. Basically, friendship is the solution to that, not the, not um, a criminal solution. And in general, like people are saying, we need to treat drug abuse as a health problem, not a criminal problem. That, um, you know, if you're, uh, it's, you're a... A victim of your own, you know, say imbalanced psychology or these chemicals, depending how you see it. Um, it's, we shouldn't be putting you in a cage for that. Um, you know, we should be trying to help you and help you become part of the tribe again, you know, help out and be all together. So, but, uh, so, um, yes, solution to these things. Um, okay. So, uh, yeah, marijuana, right. So, um, the, uh, the, the, the big thing people say is schizophrenia. And I, I was in a debate in a, a university. I was saying, yeah, well, it was about, you know, drug legalization, funnily enough. And uh, I was you know, on the side of, no, they shouldn't be legalized. And uh, I was saying like, yeah, I mean, it leads to schizophrenia. Da, da, da. And the person on the other side was kind of like exasperated, like, no, it's been proven. That's not true. It's a myth. I was like, oh, really? Okay. But anyway, I wasn't sure. But um, since then I've discovered that... Um, Actually, the, the rate, and there's a great documentary called um, The Union um, by a Adam Scourgey, this Canadian filmmaker, and an, probably an even better one, which is like the sequel to that, the, the Culture High. And that was shown to the Canadian Parliament, and largely because of that, it seems, they legalized, not just decriminalized, they legalized marijuana a few years ago. And um, so it's recreationally, not just medical, right? Um, I mean, there's a thousand medical uses for this stuff. It's very, very good. People have seizures, seizures, marijuana fixes them, um, all kinds of problems. It can help out pain medication. Um, but the the negative thing was always said to be schizophrenia, right? And um, 
but actually, as this doc, uh, guy, an expert in this documentary, um, lays out, uh, the rates of marijuana use has gone drastically up over the last hundred years, and schizophrenia rates have stayed stable. So that shows that it's a decoupled thing, right? There's always a certain percentage of people who have a tendency to schizophrenia. Um, it does potentially seem that if you have that tendency, then smoking marijuana might bring it out and it might kind of encourage it, right? Because marijuana kind of allows you to think in new ways so and kind of go off the path, you know, expand off from your the order you've established um, in your neural pathways and ways of thinking. So that can be a great thing if you're John Lennon and you're trying to find a new song um, or a normal person who's trying to, you know, solve a problem and get a new idea or just trying to relax and, you know, stuck in this tense frame of mind and then suddenly you're laughing your ass off and just listening to music and having fun. But if you have a hard time just staying in touch with baseline reality, then this could be a problem. You might start imagining, you know, the CIA's trying to hunt you and maybe they are, <laughs> but, but you shouldn't be worrying about that. Um, but, uh, you know, and... Um, having kind of crazy ideas and paranoid delusions. Um, so that could encourage it. But it's all, this all comes back to responsibility and community, being responsible for ourselves and being responsible for those who perhaps can't be responsible for themselves or aren't willing or able to. Um, so trying our best to help them out. Um, so if someone, you know, feels like their mind's a bit shaky, we should just make it really clear in school. Hey, drug awareness class, all right, da, da, da. Um, anyone, what are the risks and the benefits of marijuana? Just be really honest about it and say, okay, the negatives, it could make you lazy. It, like it could, you know, not like totally, but like there is a, a risk of kind of, you know, having this kind of shortcut where instead of getting the, the feel good chemicals from doing something in your life and improving your world, you just get those chemicals from taking a plant, which you've bought from some shop. Whereas in nature, that would have been very rare and hard to find. Right. Um, so that's one risk and another risk being uh uh schizophrenia or um or kind of you know losing touch with reality to some extent or other um uh due to um having a kind of predisposition to like so i think if people are aware of that and then in their teenage years they kind of feel like oh, i can't don't quite have good control you know of whatever's going on they're going to think this already. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't touch that stuff. And maybe their parents are going to go, hey, you know, honey, you know, watch out for that, right? And so just have an honest conversation and clear communication about it. Um, and uh, and also other people saying, oh, you're, hey, Tony, you know, you sure you want to be doing that stuff? Like you seem like you get a bit weird when you do it. Whatever, we just talk about it, you know. I think that would be more effective. But for the vast majority of people, it's it really improves people's lives. So... Now, this isn't to say everyone should go start doing this. This is just to say these are the pros and cons, right? Now, um, and we could, you know, I won't go into detail about every drug on the planet, but, you know, um, there are pros and cons to drugs. And um, we already have laws for if you do something bad while you're on a drug. So we should just have education about how, you know, what are the pros and cons of drugs? And the idea is, like, yeah, I was going to say before, maybe 20 minutes ago, <laughs> was uh, that... It's not just drug, good drug, bad drug, even, right? It's uh, drug multiplied by personality equals effect. The certain people who, if they take your drug X, right, and if you give it to person A, it's uh, great. Give it to person B, it has almost no effect. Um, person C, it has a negative effect, right? Um, 
So which one's the drug? Well, it's all the drug. It's it's the drug, um, you know, is alcohol bad? Well, it kind of depends on the person drinking it, right? And it, you could even say it depends on the person what day you get them on, you know? If they've just um, broken up from a long-term relationship, they might dr- drown their sorrows. If they're feeling really happy and they've been just had a great dinner with, you know, their wife or something, and then might just, you know, enjoy a little drink and they won't feel the need to plunge too deep into it and they can just enjoy it and just take the edge off things or just, you know, get a bit silly or whatever. So, um, okay, so I'd say the basic solution there is education. That's how do you avoid drug abuse, right? Um, now, so I'm saying uh, we should not just decriminalize them, um, but actually legalize them. So now people are, will be worried probably that this is uh, going to, you're encouraging the use of it. People are going to see it and they go, oh, heroin in the shop. Okay, I better go try that. Well, maybe I should. It's just there. Why not? Instead of having to go to the trouble of finding a drug dealer, worrying about the police. And I think there's a minority of people who they're going to do it anyway. Um, probably a minority of people, under 50%, I would imagine, are going to do, especially, you know, drugs which, you know, are more less of a big deal, like marijuana or something. Um, probably a big minority, but under 50%, will just do it anyway. They'll find a way. Um, but the majority of people, I think, aren't, um, yeah, they probably will be deterred from drugs by the fact that they're not around. And especially stronger drugs like, you know, heroin or, or you know, morphine or um, which I think is a precursor to heroin because they make it from poppies and then to turn morphine and then into, no, poppies, opium, heroin, I think. Anyway, whatever. But um, so, okay, fair enough. But So let's get into that. Here's the thing. By making them illegal, what's happening? What... Um, Apart from just um, individuals being put in jail uh, or fined or having not being able to travel because they've got a criminal record, because um, they've been you know experimenting with their own consciousness um, j- just for fun or for even becoming a better person, like through psychedelics, right? Um, so they're being punished. So that's obviously I I feel that is very unfair. Um, and as I said in the description to this video, uh, you know if we don't have the freedom to explore our own consciousness, what kind of freedom do we have at all? Because any other freedom which you think you're enjoying, how do you know that's even the freedom you want to enjoy if you don't know who you are? You know, Maybe you're like, oh, I've got the freedom to look at cat videos all day and order you know, food, groceries online and work on Zoom and I, never, I just open the windows when I need oxygen. Oh, I have everything I want. You know, but then maybe if you took a certain substance, you might go, oh, I wonder what it's like outside, <laughs> you know? Um, so anyway, but so this is the argument, you know, but we, but decriminalization or even, um, yeah, could kind of, kind of deal with that. But the problem with just ending there is I think we need to understand the problems of the, the drug war, the war on drugs, the idea of we need to shut down all the drugs, how it, it's been such an abysmal failure. We need to understand this. And then that paves the way, the understanding for why legalization is a good idea. And um, so here we go. Uh, making drugs illegal, right? It doesn't stop people from using them. A very a large number of people are going to use them anyway, right? Um, and in many places, it's actually very easy to get drugs, right? So it's not that hard, right? You can get them. And so maybe it has a small impact, but it, most people who are going to use them are going to do it anyway. And the people who are going to have problems using them, abusing them, they are definitely going to use them anyway. So you're only, the only people you're stopping from using drugs are the people who it wouldn't be a problem anyway. It might even be a good thing. Probably would be a good thing. 
because so, you're enriching their the diversity of their cognitive experience or whatever their experience. So okay, that doesn't seem like that's doing. That's kind of an own goal. That's not really helping anything. Um, okay, and then so the people who are going to use them are going to use them anyway. Uh, and so okay, that doesn't work. And then you spend a lot of it. It's very expensive. The taxpayers have to spend huge amounts of money on police instead of patrolling communities spending time getting uh, to know the communities so that they don't want to just, you know, say I think a lot of police abuse in America, for example, if police knew their communities more um, and if they weren't, you know, rounding up innocent people because they had a, you know, a joint in their pocket, there wouldn't be, there would be better relations. And even with strangers, the strangers would be better disposed towards the police and vice versa. The police wouldn't be thinking, oh, this guy probably thinks I'm some pig, some enemy, you know. Why, why would they think that? I never do anything wrong. I just help enforce the balance, you know, um, protect people from people who are being um, imbalanced, um, you know. So if in the absence of the drug war, think there would be better relations between poli the police and the community. Um, uh, and also, but, you know, the money we're spending on them doing all these operations, you know, finding this plant, this natural plant and burning it and trying to destroy it and, you know, um, getting people in trouble for smoking a, a dried flower or whatever, um, instead of that, um, or, you know, really complicated, big, very expensive operations trying to take down these international cartels that, you know, are always very well funded and so kind of one step ahead of the game, it never quite works. Um, it didn't work with Prohibition. They didn't stop Al Capone, well, or his ilk. They did get him. But um, the people who were doing that, the gangsters, they kept going right until they legalized it. They ended pro Prohibition of alcohol. It's the exact same thing, history repe repeating itself. So we need to end the prohibition of old drugs, not just alcohol. Alcohol is the success story, the case. Um, what do you call that? The um, proof of concept. So, uh, or a case study. But um, so, uh, yeah. And so the police are very expensive to do this. Taxpayers have to pay that. That money could be used on hospitals and health, um, education, all kinds of things. Education, how to use drugs properly, for example. Um, but also for the police, like, the police, a lot of the police, they say um, a lot of the shootings from police in America, for example, some people like Joe Rogan and Tim Kennedy and people like this, Jocko Wheeling, I think, have made the point that um, if these police officers were trained in jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which is very, very effective for basically cl quickly close the distance, take people to the ground, and without hurting them, you can choke them unconscious, right? If you're, if you're a black belt in jiu-jitsu or you're a purple belt or whatever, and you feel very confident you can do this, um, you don't need to go for your gun, right? Like, um, unless absolutely necessary. And so you can feel more confident to diffuse situations, worst case scenario. Um, so you're going to be more calm entering it. You're not going to cause a, a snowball effect of negativity and confrontation. You can go into it without fear, feeling, hey, yeah, da, da, or without aggression, compensating for your fear and uncertainty. Um, so that, but they're not trained. Almost none of them are trained in this. I think Tim Kennedy, um, Sheepdog Alliance and things like this, um, they're training some police forces in this. Um, so that's great, you know. Um, so it'll allow non-lethal force to be used. Um, so that's a beautiful thing. Um, but uh, so better training for the police, you know. Um, rather, uh, that could be one way. So, But instead we're wasting money on just these useless things, trying to stop people having drugs, and anyway it doesn't work. The people who are going to abuse them are getting them. And um, yeah, so now that's one problem from drugs being illegal. A bigger problem is organized crime. Duh, duh, duh. So, 
Um, what happened in Prohibition with alcohol? They made it alcohol illegal. It created speakeasies. There were more speakeasies in New York, I think, uh, uh, during Prohibition than before it. So it got more popular, drinking, and it was more dangerous, right? The, the, there's no one regulating the quality of it. So a lot of the bathtub vodka and stuff, people dying from poor quality alcohol. Same thing happens these days with adulterated drugs like MDMA, very safe to use, very low, um, as far as I understand it, uh, very... Um, like basically no, very, very low danger of using it. You drink enough water, you're good, you know? Um, and, um, yeah, but then, uh, people put all this other crazy stuff in there and it kills people because, um, you know, it's not tested and regulated. There's not people going into the MDMA shops and from the government and going, Hey, what's in this? Sorry, mate, you're shut down. You can't, you should have checked this. You should have tested this. We've tested it and it's got fentanyl in it. That's very dangerous. You're, you're out of business, you know? Um, and then all the other shops go, oh my God, that guy got shut down. Okay, we need to tighten our stuff. In reality, I think people would just test it. It's very cheap and easy. And they'll just do that. And you'd, you'd have uh, quality control. You'd know what's going on and it'd be much safer. But with alcohol, prohibition, it wasn't that. And so a lot of people were dying from that. Um, organized crime came in and said, oh, this is a way for us to make a lot of money. It's illegal. There's demand. We can make money. We can r jack up the prices, make a huge amount of money off this. Um, that's happened with all other drugs, right? Um, if you legalize the drugs, then mum and pop businesses could be selling it and families have more money um, and it can be regulated by the government. So safety is assured and maybe certain types of it can be kind of less accessible. Say stronger drugs like heroin or something, maybe you need to go to a certain course. You know, you, know, you have to sit through a six-hour course where they're explaining and talking to you and engaging you about the pros and cons of heroin, how it all works and what to be aware of, etc. you know, and, you know, uh, maybe, right? Maybe we could talk about this. We can find out the details and iron them out and be a bumpy road probably, but we can figure it out better than what we're doing so far, which is freaking nothing and just causing problems. Um, and so, uh, yeah, and so, you know, certain ones could be less accessible perhaps or, or um whatever, or maybe you need to go to your doctor and your doctor says, okay, I can, yep, I'm legally bound, so I have to give it to you if you want it. But I just want to talk to you, like, how are you? You know, how is your, you know, the family? Um, is this just a recreational thing, a spiritual thing, like self-development, you know, or um, what is it? Is it, you know, and that connection. A lot of people who are like, I can't take this, I just need something. Someone talking to them will be enough. They won't take the drug. They go, I just needed to talk to someone actually. Or they do take the drug, but because they've been talked to, it's a safer experience. And maybe they just do it once. And they go, it's not for me. Or they keep doing it, but they're, it's safer. Or they go bad, but it's not as bad as it would be because of that conversation and that talk and that support network. Um, and maybe they don't fall totally through the cracks because it gets really bad and they, they go back to the doctor and say, hey, doc, um, here's where we're at. You know, or hey, you know, group, or whatever, here's where we're at. Um, so it could be less accessible, the harder stuff, you know. Um, but, and of course, you know, we don't let kids get alcohol uh, until they're overage, you know, um, and most of them can't get it, you know, unless someone's helping them. It's hard to get it when you're a kid, you know, someone who looks older or someone who is old, old enough or paying people, give someone a 50 buck note and then they give you 20 bucks full of, worth of alcohol, <laughs> you know, whatever, that kind of thing. That will happen, sure, with other drugs, but um, yeah, the, overall the system will be far more effective minimizing suffering far more than we currently the current system because currently people can get it anyway you know and um so uh now so we've got 
um, money going to, you know, the, the middle class would be built up by this. People could have, instead of drug cartels getting all this money, you know, um, small businesses can get the money, you know, or, and then, um, and safety quality is uh, assured because governments are keeping an eye on it or certification programs, just like anything, you know, oh, you're a member of the organic blah, blah, blah alliance. You know, we can have all that stuff. It can be all out in the open. We understand what's going on. Transparency. As they say, sunlight is the best disinfectant. And uh, another benefit there is that, um, so organized crime, um, they're always fighting over the turf. So there's a lot of death involved um, and gun sales and all this kind of stuff because they're fighting for the profit stream. If the profit stream was suddenly removed because anyone can make money off it, there's not as much money in drugs if they're legal because it's just it's um you can't charge that much because people can get it anywhere there's competition capitalism comes into play so um they would make a lot less money on it and um you know like normal businesses can sell it most people would much rather go to a, a nice friendly business on a normal street than go into some dark alley with some guy who also sells god knows what uh, and might take your money and mess with you you know um so they would like with alcohol, they just left the business. They, they had to move into other drugs, right? Um, so if we took away all the drugs, they're going to be, the market share is going to shrink. They're going to be forced to stick to, say, prostitution or um, whatever other kind of, you know, businesses they're into. Um, and, you know, but they're going to have a, a, they're going to be a lot less powerful, these people who are living off of violence. But, you know, they can turn away from that. They can, it'd be much easier for them to make a living too. They can have a legitimate business. Maybe use the skills they had for a legitimate business, you know, regulated by the government, um, you know. But if they want to keep living a life of crime, then, okay, it's going to be harder for them. They, they have less power, less money, um, and good, you know. Um, so there'd be less violence between competing gangs and less gangs in general. And so, you know, they got all that money and power from that. That'll, that makes it easier for them to expand into other stuff, extortion or whatever. Um, so, but if they, if they suffer that big, you know, the, the kind of floor, um, legs are taken out from under them, then they're going to have to be in damage control and try to downsize and sort out their operation or whatever. And great, you know, that's going to make it hard for them to do other stuff as well. So that's one benefit also. Um, preventing violence from organized crime, fighting each other, and also shrinking or the cartels. What's the best way to end the cartels? Just try to kill them all? Doesn't work. We've been trying that. Um, oh, what about take away their food? What happens to an organism if you take away its food? It starves, right? So that's what would happen if we took away, if we made drugs legal. Um, now, uh, another um, benefit there, what was it? Um, so... Uh, preventing violence from organized crime, shrinking these entities, um, increasing the safety of the products, um, and increasing you know the, the middle class and money that legitimate businesses can make. Um, also, then more money for taxation. You know these businesses would be taxed. We have more money for everything else: roads, healthcare, um, education, uh, whatever we need. You know, um, ecological supporting the environment. You know. Um, even, you know, just putting it all into, okay, we're going to put it all into programs for mental health and helping people get off of drugs, you know, or um, use drugs responsibly. Wouldn't that make more sense than just putting everyone in a cage, you know? Um, and uh, so, and that's what, what happened, you know, we've seen this before with prohibition of alcohol and we're, we're seeing it um, in America, like I think more than half of the states 
have now legalized marijuana for recreational and medical use. So, you know, um, even the District of Columbia, where Washington is, federally it's still illegal. The federal government's still resisting, but um, the uh, even the District of Columbia, where the federal government is located, it's legal to smoke marijuana there. Um, so that just shows you how much things have changed. And so the United States was the first place that made this illegal and really kicked off the drug war with marijuana. So we should mention that. Um, and it's a crazy story, but basically it seems to be a case of crony capitalism, capitalism gone wrong, where a guy called William Randolph Hearst, who was a huge, you know, magnate, you know, um, oligarch sort of fella, he um, owned an enormous amount of forests and he owned a lot of paper mills, which he made paper from the wood from his forest, and he owned a huge number of newspapers, which he used his paper, you know, to, to make the newspapers, you know, and... Uh, so he had a lot of power and um, control from money and also from um, being able to manipulate and influence popular opinion and the narratives that guide, you know, what's politically desired desired and um, acceptable. And so, you know, and uh, there's a hemp um, is marijuana. It's the same thing. What we call hemp these days is basically the same plant, but it's been bred so that the flowers, which you normally turn into marijuana, cannabis, right, um, uh, that they contain a very, very, very small amount of THC, tetrahydrocannabinol. Tetrahydro um, and so they ha have CBD and other stuff. So it's healthy for you, but um, but there's uh, no THC. You, you smoke it, you won't get high, right? So that's what, you know, we use hemp for um, you know, many things. You can use it for construction material. Hempcrete is a very, very high quality construction material, kind of possibly um, one of the best, better than maybe, you know, many things. Um I'm not sure concrete, but I think better than concrete and like many things. Like it's incredible. Like uh, it's got all these beneficial properties. Um, you can use it. It can be very durable for steel, right? Um, you can, uh, you know, instead of steel, like uh, Henry Ford made a hemp car and it was stronger than steel and lighter than steel, right? You can make oil from it, both for eating and for fuel. Um, you can have seeds from it. You know, hemp seeds are really nutritious, good on a salad, right? Um, uh, flour, you know, protein uh, powder, um, uh, you can make canvas, cannabis. Canvas comes from the word cannabis because we used to make canvases for painting and um, things like this. And uh, sails also from hemp. Um, in the Napoleonic Wars, they, oh, God, that's maybe going a bit too far, but basically they cut off um, Britain's supply of um, Russia, ha had all the, the hemp plants, the cannabis plants, and they um, Napoleon persuaded them to cut off their supply to Britain. And the British Navy was in big trouble because hemp sails were the best quality. And so using cotton, the, the Navy would have been in big trouble um, they would they decayed much faster, and so a big part of the war was over like weed, basically, um, which you might not learn in conventional history. But um, so uh, but and there's so many uses um, the, the hemp plant and fiber for clothing, right? Um, and rope, and it's very very strong, very good, very ec ecologically friendly. You can grow it more frequently than cotton um, or trees. You know, it grows much more quick quickly and it's good for the soil it breaks up the soil it, it enriches the soil you just feed it into the ground it's full of lots of good stuff um and but it was very hard to process it was harder than cotton um than trees for making paper it was hard for for some reason i don't um, remember but there's a thing called um the decorticator machine which in the 30s i think was invented and it was going to allow hemp to be processed much much more cost effectively and so time magazine ran an article called hemp the the billion dollar crop or something like this, um, basically heralding that, you know, hemp is going to be this new industry. It's going to take over because it's just become through this technological advance. 
it's going to, you know, totally change things. It's going to be far more, it's going to be the easiest way to do everything or like to, at least paper and many other things. Um, and William Randolph Hearst stood, stood to lose a lot. He's got these forests, got these paper mills, you know, he's got this political influence through the newspapers and et cetera, and financial benefits from all of this. So hemp was, he's going to have to totally cross over to hemp and he's going to lose a lot of money and the other people would be able to do it. So he ran this, this reefer madness thing about how it was all create, um, uh, people were smoking this thing called marijuana, which it was always called cannabis, but he used marijuana as slang, Mexi I think Mexican slang for a type of tobacco they smoked. And he took that word and said, cold cannabis um, or hemp, marijuana. So people didn't really know what it was. Like, what's this marijuana thing? Everyone's smoking, blacks smoke it and Mexicans smoke it and they're raping white women. This was literally what was said in these videos and in his newspapers. Um, and so people we whipped up a frenzy and, and basically managed to get this thing passed outlawing marijuana and uh, or, 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 uh, cannabis, what he was calling marijuana, which is stuck as a term, um, and uh, hemp, you know. And so even until very recently, I think, yeah, and it's still I think now in many of the states, hemp, growing hemp is illegal in America, even for all these beneficial things. It was totally outlawed, he, um, even if it wasn't, even the variety where they had um, bred it so that the flowers contained no THC, so you wouldn't get high. Um, so that just sh goes to show you, like, the things that can go on in history are very crazy, you know. But so that was the beginning of it, and it was outlawed um, and pushed underground and kind of demonized as the thing that you know, you know, unsavory types did. Um, but uh, so that was the, the origin of it, and then that kind of you know the psychedelics act later on, and then later on you know other things are added to the list, and now we've got this situation where so many substances which you could put in your body, it's just taken for granted that yeah the government has the right and the prerogative yeah the prerogative to um put you in a cage or fine you or cause big problems for you if you do this. Like they're telling you what decisions to make with your own body and your own mind. Um, and, you know, again, I believe in the government. I think, we, um, well, not, you know, uh, I wouldn't put that as a blanket statement. Jamie McGlue, I believe in the government. That wouldn't be the, you know, the um, exact, you know, uh, phrase I'd say, my byline. But um, unfortunately, there's a lot of problems with the government. But I believe in the need for our government and um, at this stage of history, at least, maybe if we're all Buddhas, we can just have some sort of local, you know, decentralized system of kind of, you know, cooperation or just, you know, anarchy. Or we all live, you know, respecting everyone. But I think at where we are, we're not, we're not close to that. We're, that's a long way off, right? So um, uh, I would favor a more libertarian, libertarian government, though, like small government, where maximizing individual freedoms and saying, if you're not hurting anyone, you can do whatever you want. That's what I think makes most sense. Um, and I think that's the best for everyone, especially the poor. Um, but, uh, so I do believe in the government. I don't have anything against, you know, governments per se. Um, but I just believe, uh, as uh, any good friend should, you should say, hey, you know, when I think you're out of line. And I think that we need to realize that this has been natural because we're just, you know, we're just a fish in water. We just, you know, this is just, we take it for granted. But actually, it's totally unnatural that you should be getting in trouble for, smoking a herb or doing or even something you know taking some crazy drug that's some chemical that's just been cooked up three years ago and um it's not good for you you know causes problems well, who are we to tell you that you shouldn't be doing that we're not you don't aren't you here a soul to live your own life if you're not hurting other people if you're only hurting yourself well a who are we to judge that aren't you the best person to judge what's hurting yourself and what's not and even if it's clear that you are hurting yourself physically or psychologically um, and maybe, you know, the people who care about you are vicariously being hurt, 
um, by your effects on them uh, indirectly, um, uh, and you're in denial and you're taking this and we know it's bad for you, even then I think we don't have the right to, t to stop you. We, we, have the um, we have the right to talk to you, I think, and try to persuade you. And with love, that, that, you know, there's nothing, nothing's a substitute for love, you know, and that's what we need, all kinds of it. Very simple love between a stranger. You go, um, bless you. Someone sneezes, you say, bless you. What's that? That's like some sort of little signal of just like, I hope you are well, you know? And so that's love. Um, love between friends, platonic love, you know, like um, romantic love, um, uh, f uh, familial love, you know, between siblings or whatever. Um, love for your community and where you come from, whatever. Love for love, what's that? Ooh, that's that, that must be intense. Um, so anyway, I think, you know, even in the most extreme case, if you're not hurting other people, um, what, what right do we have to be telling you what to do? So I think the government, we need to have a movement, and it's already begun, but I'm just, I'm just trying to help do my part to, you know, encourage this and amplify the, the message, um, which is uh, that uh, everyone, including all the people in the government, we can have a much better society if we can just um, pivot away from this madness of the war on drugs. And um, if we can do this one thing, you think, oh, it's just drugs. This is a very simple thing that um, the negative con what negative consequences would there be from this? If we make it legal, briefly, for a while, probably there would be people who were more enthusiastic about experimenting with drugs. So we would just, before that, we would just begin um, a campaign, a very, you know, public campaign, say education, like, hey, you know, on the new, uh, news or we're going to be doing stories on drugs and, you know, the cases for and against when you use them or sending out leaflets or having classes or whatever in school, making sure people are aware, education about drugs. And then, you know, uh, legalize it and, you know, um, and try to encourage people, look, we're doing this, please try to be sensible. Like, this is a big change. We need a, we don't want a backlash against this. So we need to try to be calm with this, right? Um, and we start allowing these to be sold. What harm comes from that? So many people will be, not be being put in cages, being f fined, having their criminal records, um, uh, or, you know, having problems because they're in the shadows. They're not allowed, they're afraid to connect with people and admit that they've got a problem with heroin or something because um, there's this great taboo and threat of this, you know, being put in a cage or whatever. Um, uh, drug, all the crime, cr criminal syndicates and what they do to us. Um, the people are struggling for money at the moment, in, all this inflation because all the governments are just printing money willy-nilly. Like, where's the inflation coming from? Oh, I wonder. Hey, let's keep printing more money. There's a fixed amount of wealth, goods and services in the economy. We're going to increase the supply of paper with numbers on it. Are the prices going to go up? Hmm, I wonder. Well, luckily, our friends are the people who are getting all of that money. So it'll trickle down through our friends, surely. <laughs> mm. All right. So, and besides that, there's a lot of problems, you know, um, people struggling financially. This would help that a lot. People can work, start those businesses, work for those businesses. Um, the police, we can spend less money on them, more money on other things, supporting people temporarily in these times, you know, financially or whatever, um, or lowering taxes. Oh, we shrink the police and we massively lower taxes. Now, the problem is um, a lot of the police uh, might not like that, right? Because people are losing jobs. But overall, it's good. And if you really are here to protect and serve, then you should be on board for this. Um, because this is a great way to protect and serve is to maybe say, yeah, we, we don't need as many police. We, we're, or maybe we do, 
keep the same number of police, just temporarily, but just end the war on drugs and get the police to do other stuff, help people. Maybe they could even be almost like social workers for a while. These people who are going in and we'll get them training, doing good training, whatever, or train them in, you know, have programs for police, spend the money for police to take retraining programs. Um, but the prison guard unions, and in America, they have a lot of private prisons and a lot of them make money from people having a herbal cigarette in their pocket and they get put in prison. And then a lot of them, they're doing, you know, working as slaves basically for like five cents an hour, building stuff, making stuff. There's factories, you know. And so there's huge profits in private prisons in the US. And in general, there's prisons where people are making money, someone getting job, people getting paid for doing that work, even if they're public servants, technically. Um, and so a lot of them, a lot of the people who campaign against drug legalization, like marijuana legalization, have been prison guard unions and police unions, which is a very dark thing, right? And even drug dealers, because, you know, they want to make money. So they're against it. They're like, oh, no, no, we don't want to legalize this. I'm making a bunch of money off this. Um, so, and and here's a big problem, actually. Maybe one of the biggest problems, actually, which I, I didn't even, I forgot, it was on the tip of my tongue before, but glad it's come back by the grace of the universe. So, um, corruption of police and government. So, apart from got you know when drugs are illegal you've got the health problems because it's not regulated you're losing out on taxes that could be going to the middle class um to the government the the normal people are missing out on job opportunities and financial opportunities the middle class whatever um uh there's an increase in crime because of you know both people who are on these have got these addictions and they're in the shadows um committing crime and also drug you know organized crime crime <laughs> violent crime um and you've also got uh, organized crime in general being bigger, and so that allows them to commit other crimes and control society in bad ways. Um, and, uh, you know, putting innocent people in prison for, you know, doing, just enjoying themselves or expanding their consciousness or whatever. Um, uh, and then you uh, have a wasteful, you know, taxpayers supporting these bloated bureaucracies, police, all these other bureaucracies um, related to it. And then also you have corruption where the worst people in the police department, and look, we're all human, no one's perfect, right? Every industry you have good and bad people, right? Most are good, but some people, you, you always get bad eggs, you know? People who maybe they've come from a bad background and, you know, they're in, they've got their own demons and whatever it is, I don't judge them on that level. I just say, look, it's a fact, you know? Um, and uh, those people will take money from drug gangs in order to not prosecute them, this of course, this happens, right? This has always happened. Um, this happened during Al Capone's days, et cetera, prohibition, and it happens, it's been happening ever since. And these people, um, so if, if some cops don't want to do it, A, they might get killed by the, or threatened by the organized crime, and then maybe they'll fall into line. They might get threatened or killed by other cops. It's, you know, this has, I, I believe this has happened, um, was it the LAPD? I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not certain about this, but I, I believe I've heard that this has happened and it makes sense, you know, theoretically, right? Um, that, um, imagine that being a cop and you're trying to do a good job and you know, there's this basically a cancer inside your own organization and it's just grows inevitably because, you know, the drug laws, you can't control it. The, the drug laws won't change and you're trying to fight this, um, enemy, but it's coming within through these other people. And so that's going to be difficult. And a lot of good people will probably go, I don't want to be part of this organization. I can't do anything good because, um, you know, you're, the positions of authority are going to step slowly but surely get captured by these ba um, bad actors. And even if they aren't, it's very, you're compromised. And even whatever good you're trying to do, you know, uh, you know, you're not really coming to the root of the problem. 
right? Um, out there when you're arresting people for, you know, enjoying drugs or um, for selling drugs even, right? Or killing people, cr criminals in, you know, organized crime or whatever. Like, it just keeps happening. You know, people are replaced, you know? So you get this, um, the integrity of the police force is compromised. And that then, these are the people who are protecting us and helping us in every other aspect of life. So then that gets compromised because, you know, how do you know which cop you're going to get? Is it going to be a, a gen an honest policeman? Or um, is it going to be someone who's, you know, taking bribes? And if they're being dishonest in that way, maybe they, you know, that's going to influence their, the rest of their decisions, you know? Um, and that also goes for politics, the legislators, um, you know, and... Uh, uh, all kinds of stuff, right? So it's very, very dangerous. Um, and, and the cartels in Mexico are basically quasi-government at this point. And how how long would they survive if drugs were legalized? You know? Not good for them. Suddenly they're starving. You know? They've got no resources. Their food's been cut off. So, so this is another problem um, with organized crime, uh, with dr drugs being illegal, the war on drugs. And there's another thing that would be basically very quickly, you know, all those corrupt police who are taking bribes, okay, suddenly the money's cut off. They're not getting those payments because, you know, hey, all these honest businesses are starting up. So what are they going to do? Well, you got to get with the times, you know, and like, what can they do, you know? So you can try to change the law and make it illegal again, but if enough of us realize that this is in, insane, then, you know, this is going to change. And so thank God people are waking up. This movement is already happening, but um, I think, yeah, it's a really easy way, very quickly, we could have a radical shift. And I think we really need it for various reasons, you know? So this is kind of like a surprise move against catastrophe. We're like, sorry, catastrophe. I know you had big plans for us, but um, it's not going to go that way, actually. Love, respect, community, consciousness, um, and uh, common sense shall prevail, you know? Um, now... Let me take a little drink of water. Is water a drug? Hmm. Okay, so that's the argument for legalization. Because decriminalization, you can help the individual be protected from injustice, but these systemic issues which are affecting all the individuals, every one of us, they don't get dealt with until we remove the, um, the fact that it's illegal to sell them, to produce, distribute, and sell them. Um, so if we make that legal, then, you know... Uh, we really, you know, let me know in the comments. What do you think? Am I missing something? As far as I can see it, this is just hiding in plain sight. And this is a very rapid way where if we deal with this, then everyone, oh, take off a bit of the pressure. Then we can deal with something else a little bit more. And by coming together and talking and figuring this out, it'll give us both the practical skills and practice um, uh, and the self-belief that we can do it to actually make other changes. And so we can start dealing with other problems, homelessness, um, war, um, you know, uh, general infringement of civil liberties by runaway government, you know, um, or uh, uh, ecological problems, you know. Um, if more people, if we just take off a bit of the pressure, we just calm things down a bit and help focus on logic and making a, a step forward, a big step forward in our societies, that's going to have huge um cascading effects and uh yeah i really think that will um help us galvanize you know progress at this um difficult time and uh so now okay so let's see counter arguments what 
what problems could that cause? I mean, so people getting access to these drugs, I already said we could limit access to some extent by saying, okay, you're, there's a schedule, you know, yeah, alcohol, over 18, you're good, take it. Marijuana, over 18, good, you can take it. Just like in Canada right now, you can go there. In some parts, the government sells it. Other parts, it's any um, anyone can sell it, maybe got, um, like a private. Um, and, uh, you know, you can just grow it yourself, right? Um, so, except uh, Quebec, you're not allowed to grow it governments are maybe a little bit uh hungry for that money maybe i don't know someone told me that it's not my opinion ramses is that my opinion Shh, don't say that ramses um that's just my assistant uh, my ancient egyptian statue assistant um so let's see uh well um yeah i think okay so let's say if there's a business selling heroin that um people i don't want that business here Okay, fair enough. So we might need to do a thing where it's maybe not so obvious. Maybe it's not, you could have, you can have them, but you can't show what it is on the outside. Maybe it's like um, there's a, uh, an app or something and it tells you the address and you just have the address on the door and it maybe it looks nice enough, but you go inside. So people walking down the street don't notice and they don't go, oh, let's go get some heroin. Maybe it'd be like, you'd have to go Google it yourself. And so only people who intentionally are wanting to do it can find it. Um, you might... Uh, but then, you know, and if you know, kids try to get it, well, not allowed, you know. Um, and in general, look, education and not passing the burden. The buck start, stops here, you know. Like we, parents talk to their children, um, friends talk to friends, etc. And we try to um, take care of this together. I think that we can definitely do it. Um, and, uh, right, so, but perhaps you could say, like, some of these businesses, you might limit where they are. There might be a certain parts of town where you say, okay, we're allowing it here. Um, you might even do that in kind of rundown areas or like areas that need gentrification, allowing businesses to move there um, or places where you might say, okay, certain cities, leave it up to the cities where the, I mean, I don't know if that would be a good idea if you're allowing cities to ban it again, but um, the sale of it. But yeah, I mean, we could iron out these details, but, um, uh, or you might say, uh, um yeah uh zoning laws you might be able to say you know it can't be in residential areas or whatever or like um you might start by limiting the number of these things um so that's one thing but that seems like that wouldn't be a big issue that could be dealt with not as big as police corruption gangs murdering each other um and murdering other people um and murdering police um and threatening them uh and their loved ones um, in order to traffic drugs and, you know, slave labor involved in drug production in all parts of the world. This is horrible, you know, this is still happening. Um, and uh, um, all those gangs with all that power and money, what they're investing that in, how they're expanding their operations, um, all the people who are dying from MDMA when, you know, it's perfectly healthy, uh, that, you know, it's not going to kill you, um, if you, you know, like basically, I mean, maybe very rarely, whatever, if people overheat or something, um, you know, dancing for you know 11 billion hours in a row or something without water. But um, but in general, you know, these deaths are caused by um, impure substances. It's not MDMA, it's these other things in it, you know. All these problems, set that up against someone who doesn't want uh, a door with the number 14 on it, which you go online and you find out, you know, like looking for heroin sales. Oh, number 14 on this street, okay. What's worse, right? It doesn't even compare, you know? So that's one thing. Okay, we could sort that out. We could deal with that. Um, one thing is potentially um, drug tourism. 
So if if we do this in if this start, it wouldn't be globally. I don't think China's going to start doing this. They're, you're like, oh yeah, we'll just let everyone expand their consciousness. Mm, they might start questioning why they're being told to do what to do by Big Brother. Um, so, uh, but you know, say we can start getting this to happen, full legalization of drugs, that'll get tongue, tongues wagging all around around the world. That'll cause a big change. And within a few years, once it had been proven as like healthy, it's going to be very very hard for other societies to to not you know kind of go with the flow and go, okay, this is clearly like a good idea. Um, but in the interim, before it's an international thing where it's everywhere, you would probably have people coming from all around the world going, hey, let's go there and just take all these drugs because it's legal. So you'd have to deal with it. And that could be a problem where if that caused a problem, then that might cause the other countries to not be sure about following suit. And so then it might remain a kind of longer term situation. So you need to find a way to make sure that didn't cause a problem so that then all these other countries could start following suit and they would remove the phenomenon because, hey, you can just do it in your own country. You don't need to go. So in the way that people go to Amsterdam to smoke marijuana or whatever, and it seems to be fine. You know, It's good for the economy. I mean, that's the thing. You make a lot of money from that business anyway. So potentially if you set it up in a way where um, you, know, you can have that but that it's controlled, I think basically if you cause problems, you get in trouble. If you don't cause problems, you don't get in trouble. It doesn't matter if you're on drugs or not, and it doesn't matter if you're a tourist or a resident. If, if you know you don't cause problems, all good. Um, if that's the system, then I think everyone just makes a lot of money from tourism until all the other countries go, "What? That country made how many billion dollars out of this thing? Oh my God, we need like we're falling apart. A lot of countries are really short on money, or you know maybe uh, long on debt. We could say. Um, so, you know." Um, so th th I think this would be very quickly, this would spread um, and uh, that would heal so much of the world and then potentially cause a lot, you know, so all these migration crises, you know, people migrating through South America up to the US, a lot of that, you know, would be healed. I think a lot of people, they don't want to leave their communities and everything they've known, like most people don't want to, they just, they're so desperate, they feel they have no choice. So I think if this, um, pre you know, people are allowed to have jobs and there's less crime and there's more um, funding for schools and hospitals, things are better off, or taxes are lowered, or there's less corrupt police, etc. Um, I think a lot of people would go, well, actually, where I am is looks like it's moving in a good direction. I think we can make this work, you know? Um, so, and people in general, happier people, calmer people, happier and calmer societies, less danger for interstate conflict, for one thing, um, and intrastate conflict, like within, you know, the society or whatever. Um but so, okay, so how would we make manage that? Making sure that, say, if one country legalized all drugs um, to tomorrow, or let's say in three years' time, or whatever, uh, then uh, that it wouldn't, um, you know, like they would be able to manage the influx of tourists. So um, I guess, uh, yeah, just be an economic stimulus. So, that, you know, housing and things, if there are a lot of people coming, then fine. Um, or you might, if you wanted, if it was overwhelming things, um, then you might be able to put in a, like a, a temporary law saying um, for the next few years or whatever, um, only residents are allowed to purchase the drugs, etc. Um, and then, of course, that would create a black market for non-residents, for the, crim the, the criminal syndicates, though. So that would be a problem. Um, however, it would still... I guess allow a lot of money 
to most of the money would still be going to these businesses, but probably workers in those businesses would start selling. But then, you know, organized crime for sure would start, you know, getting them to, hey, give me your stuff. And they would take it. They would make some sort of money out of it. They'd make less money, but they're still trying to make money from it. Well, they, yeah, they'd be able to like sell it for much higher rates. So, um, so I guess that could be an issue. You might just need to let people do it um, and say, uh, if there are too many people coming in, and uh, you know it's de um, um, destabilizing the society, then perhaps you would just have to. I don't know what could you do there. There's definitely ways to do it, right? Like limit the number of tourists coming in, you know, um, uh, or but probably all that money, use that money to fix the problem, you know, um, create more. I think that would be really probably really good. I mean, like you probably just have a lot a lot of people going. Oh, I'm going to leave my job working in something I hate doing and I'm just going to start open a shop so many people want this okay I'm going to open a shop doing selling this thing and people want it you know um, or I'm going to work for these people who they, they're saying they want workers they're expanding operations they're doing really well and they say there's so much demand they're ready to expand I think probably the uh, the economic the influx of money um, from this tourism would be able to pay for dealing with that tourism um, and the numbers might not even be that large. I mean, um, the numbers of people who go to Amsterdam for marijuana and certain, I think, psychedelics are kind of quasi-legal there. Um, you know, that's manageable. They deal with it. Um, so that could be fine. I mean, there's already people going to Amsterdam so and Canada. I don't know how Canada's dealt with it, um, people coming from marijuana. Um, it seems like it's all been good. Um, all the states in America, they've been dealing fine with it. They've been fl flourishing, drink-driving, rates far down in Colorado and, um, you know, um, I think drink, drinking, maybe drink sales down. I don't know. I'm not sure. But like huge amounts of money the government's made and the society's made from um, growing, distributing, selling pot. Um, so, and so in general, like so many of the states have legalized it and they don't seem, that hasn't seemed to cause problem. In fact, rather the reverse, probably been a bit of a saving grace in a very difficult time for America. As far as I can tell, that's what's been happening. Um, so I think it would be the same anywhere where you just legalized everything. The number of people who want to take, you know, cocaine, and, you know, a lot of these places, people can get cocaine and they know, you know, oh, yeah, you can get co cocaine or whatever in clubs and wherever you want to go. So I think that's actually probably people can already go to Spain or whatever and do that, you know. Um, so don't think that would be a big difference. But perhaps the, if, you know, people who are going, oh, it's going to be really easy, we can just try it. I don't think that'd be very, very large numbers. So I'm just thinking this through to take it seriously. But um, but I think th this could really be dealt with, right? That wouldn't be a big issue. Cross that bridge when we come to it. If there was, you know, such a huge wave of tourism that was overwhelming the society, use the money from that to, um, you could jack up the prices of visas temporarily to travel there um, or, uh, you know, um, use the money from uh, the tourism that all that extra money the government's getting in tax to um, have certain things to whatever deal with uh, problems that are arising if there's a lack of, you know, or like, a, yeah, I think that, that would be fine. Um, and probably it wouldn't even be an issue. It would probably just be um, a, a happy days, everyone, you know, huge numbers of tourists coming in. And um, pretty quickly, I would say, other societies would start at least moving in that direction. Well, they're doing that, and Canada's done it with marijuana, and half of the American states have done it. And aren't they the people who suggested this in the first place? So why are we suffering here? And then if it's laid out very clearly and publicly, uh, this is like a proof of concept. 
but also all the arguments are laid out very clearly, um, then they can just kind of pay attention to that and go, oh, yeah, interesting. Maybe we should do that. So it might seem like it's not such an important issue. It's just drugs, people taking drugs somewhere. But we all take drugs, almost everyone, right? Like how many people don't drink alcohol, don't drink coffee, don't eat sugar, don't drink tea? Um, they just eat food and drink water and apple juice or something. Um, and, you know, that's not a very large number of people. And anyway, you know, drugs are just the reason drugs work. Put, put some drugs into, you know, a, a plant. Put drugs into Claire, my guitar over there. Nothing's going to happen. The reason drugs work when you put it inside a human is because we are running on drugs constantly. Chemicals, molecules, um, serotonin, dopamine, all these things are very, very similar. They're just molecules, chemicals, the same as the drugs. So what drugs are is exogenous chemicals that we're taking in and it interfaces with our neurology and our chemical, you know, electrochemical uh, matrices uh, in like our brains that, you know, kind of are a mirror or reflection of our consciousness. Or if you're a materialist, you think that it causes your consciousness. But either way, whatever, um, you know, so we're on drugs already, as Dennis McKenna said, you know, sorry to break it to you folks, but, you know, life is a drug experience. You're on drugs all the time. It's just, you know, what we call drugs is the you know, chemicals outside us. But say DMT, which is, you know, in plants and everything, and you can smoke it or you could put, have it in ayahuasca, that is inside your brain as I'm speaking to you right now. That is the chemical which um, is released during REM sleep, they believe, um, when you're dreaming, uh, rapid eye movement sleep. Um, they believe that at birth and at death, it is flooded, floods the brain for some mysterious, likely mystical reason. Um, and uh, they found it in the pineal gland of rats. And I think, they, so they believe it's in other mammals, like humans. And that's traditionally this idea of mysticism, the third eye, the seat of the soul. And... You know, you could get into that. That's another whole other topic, but um, the idea that it's a chemical gateway to higher dimensions or something. But you know, we're like as someone said, um, everyone's uh, what's it? Uh, everyone's packing or you know, everyone's holding. Like everyone's got like an illegal drug, uh, uh, in a, uh, you know, uh, inside your body, which is DMT, because you know it's in our brains um, and possibly in other organs. I'm not sure, but. So, you know, uh, there you go. Like uh, drugs are just a natural part of reality. Animals take drugs. Elephants drink alcohol. They eat fermented fruit and get drunk. Cats take catnip. You know, you got the you know, jaguars or whatever. Jaguars, um, uh, you know, taking, eating, you know, DMT-rich leaves and tripping out. Um, I believe there's many, many other examples of this. Um, and so, uh, you know, it seems like it's a natural thing. Um, creatures want to do and we've made it illegal for some reason um, like that uh, what's his name um, hilarious dude ah oh, what's his name uh, uh, cowboy hat um, said life's just a ride Bill Hicks yeah yeah so Bill Hicks that great joke where he's saying you know and on the seventh day God looked down at his creation and said ah it's perfect yes and then oh wait a minute oh no oh, oh my god no oh my me oh uh, oh who put all this pot everywhere? Oh my God. Now I'm going to have to create Republicans. <laughs> so the idea of like, you know, and a lot of people who would be against drug legalization, like didn't God, you know, a lot of those people believe in God. Like, didn't God create the drugs? Or did the devil? Mm, come on. Like, I think uh, 
these are natural things and mistakenly we've made them illegal partly out of ignorance partly out of um corruption in their origins like reefer madness psychedelics act or whatever you know or whatever it was called um, under nixon trying to stop the you know the people trying to stop this war in vietnam um this terrible war and you know trying to stop them and um you know and then more well-meaning people you know later on or whatever you know trying to protect people by stopping these things but at the end of the day if you want to protect people you need to give them freedom and you need to minimize the cancers of corruption and organized crime and um, all the the dangers and the damages that come from the war on drugs which i've just laid out um so i think uh, i hope uh, you're with me on this and i think uh you know we should the biggest thing we can all do is just being brave enough to talk about it you know like some people go oh my god what is jamie talking about oh my god you know but it's like well hey this is what i think so am i afraid to be me am i afraid people to know who i am when what i believe makes sense and what's right and wrong actually no i should be afraid of the opposite i should be afraid of being afraid of being me and being honest that's the real danger so uh yeah so go take some drugs or not it's your sweet choice much love uh my friends and uh i'll see you next week peace <laughs>